Welcome to the Every Nation New Jersey podcast. Every Nation is a Bible-believing, multi-ethnic, non-denominational church hoping to transform the world one life at a time. We hope you enjoy this podcast. Hey, good morning, Every Nation New Jersey. God bless you. PA here, Pastor Adam Burt, and I'm so excited you choose to spend your Sunday morning here with us at Every Nation New Jersey. And so... Um, I don't know if you've ever done like cool stuff and you were just so glad to be a part of it. Well, I got to share with you uh, this past week, uh, for those of you that aren't familiar, um, I've been the the New York Jets of the National Football League, their chaplain uh, since 2008. And so we say here at Every Nation New Jersey, I mean, you you can cheer for the Giants, but you need to pray for the Jets, all right? And so uh, after all these years of working with the Jets, uh, this was the first season I was actually invited uh, to go uh, 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 on road trips with them this year. And so I was super excited about doing that and saw like so kind, so many opportunities and whatnot. But I got to admit, man, it was pretty cool experience. So my, my first road trip, it wasn't to like Los Angeles or Miami to play the Dolphins. It was Cleveland, all right? But uh, to shoot you straight, it was still a blast. So uh, it was it was amazing. We uh, I, I arrived at the p- practice facility in Florham Park, and it was there. We actually cleared TSA uh, right there at the facility, and then we loaded up in these six luxury buses with a police escort. Like, it was amazing, man. They were shutting down highways just so these six uh, luxury buses could could make their way to Newark Airport. And and we get to the airport, man, and the buses line up, boom, 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 right on the tarmac. And and we, we board uh, the team's private jet. And this jet was massive as all these busloads of players and staff uh, and, and yours truly, we, we, we board the plane. And, and the moment you walk onto this plane, like they're shoving food into you. Like they, they have this Chick-fil-A you know, bag and then you go to your seat, you have assigned seats. And then in your assigned seat, there's a gift bag and they have uh, all these waters and Gatorades in, in the seat in front of you. And it's just like nonstop food. And, and then like I'm stuffed. And then, by the way, oh, the stewardess comes by uh, during the flight and she's like, hey, did you order from, would you like anything from the menu? I'm like, menu? There's a menu? And sure enough, there was a menu. I mean, like, I could not possibly stuff any more food in my face. And then we land and arrive in Cleveland and, and then we get off the bus and once again, police escort to the hotel and as we make our way to the hotel you know i get get into uh my room and and then we we arrive for dinner as if we should still be hungry uh, i keep forgetting i'm not a 300 pound nfl player and so <laughs> we we go to the team dinner and, and there's just every food imaginable at this buffet and it was it was fat it was amazing you know and then we go that uh, the night before the game and we do the players chapel and you know the the room was packed uh, with, with players because these players are hungry uh, for Jesus, man. And so we just share the, the gospel during the chapel service. And God just gave me all these token moments of, of, of staff and, and coaches that would, would share these God moments with me, what, what, what the Lord is doing in their life. And man, it's just, just so, uh, made me feel like so full on the inside. And then, then uh, the next morning we get up team breakfast and, and then we head uh, to the stadium. 
and it's there at the stadium. I remember just uh, standing uh, for the national anthem and and the, the fighter jets flew overhead. It was so cool, man. It made the hair stand up on the back of my neck, man. And you had the Goodyear blimp up there. And and then sure enough, after the anthem, man, the game kicked off. And it, it was a it was a great game. Both teams uh, played well. Uh, unfortunately, our team was down late in the fourth quarter. In fact, uh, the, uh, the analytics said this, that, that the New York Jets, we, we only, uh, uh, we were 99.9% uh, chance that we were going to lose this game. <laughs> However, there was a 0.1 chance. So you're saying there's a chance, right? And, and it was that 0.1 chance, man, that, uh, man, by the grace of God, guess what? Man, Joe Flacco would march the New York Jets down the field and we would miraculously win the game. Man, we were high-fiving players and doing all that stuff. It, it was just such a cool experience. And then as, as I, uh, I loaded up the bus and I was, I was sitting uh, in the back of the bus kind of on my own, and I just had this quiet moment with the Lord, man. And, and I just felt so overflowing with gratitude. God, thank you that you let me experience something like that. And then as the bus rolled out uh, from the stadium on our way back to the airport, um, the, the Cleveland fans uh, were watching us as we drive out, and they were all telling us we're number one, <laughs> if you know what I mean. We were getting the middle finger salute, right, to all the team, and, and it was so funny that, that I felt so honored to be dishonored. Right. I, I was I felt like I was part of the team and I was I was able to be dishonored by the Cleveland fans. But I felt honored to do so. Right. And so that's that's kind of where we're headed here this morning as we're going to continue our study in the book of First Corinthians. That that um, uh, the, the name of uh, our message today is this is just honored to be dishonored because um, the Corinthian church. Uh, they're going to start uh, be receiving some ridicule, some shame uh, from outsiders in the church. In fact, uh, the Jews are going to say of these early Christians, they're like, oh, man, your God is soft and weak. Uh, the Greeks are going to say, you Christians are dumb and naive. Um, in fact, uh, when we read our text today, um, the, these Greeks are going to say that the cross is folly. That's the word Marias. Uh, in the Greek, it's where we get the word moron. So, so in other words, they're saying, hey, you Christians, you're just a bunch of morons, right? And, and listen, I, here's why I think this is so important and helpful for us here in 2022 is, you know, um, to, man, to, to overtly call yourself a Christian today, uh, you, you realize you're not going to be seen in the greatest light. And that's going to be increasingly more and more so. That, that to call yourself a Christian, uh, oftentimes you'll be uh, uh, viewed as being naive, uh, uh, unprogressive, uh, possibly even uh, sexually repressed or homophobic, right? All these different things. And so it's helpful for us. See, Paul is going to remind the Corinthian church that the foolishness of God is wiser than men and that the weakness of God is stronger than men. And that's and we want to, to remember this is that what an honor it is to be dishonored 
for the cause of Christ. And so we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, we're going to read verses 18 to 31. Here's how it's going to go. I'm going to read a little bit and then, and then we'll talk about it. And then I'll read a little bit more and we'll talk a little bit more. And so that'll be our flow for this morning. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 18, Paul says this, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So here's what you need to know about the gospel. Like the gospel is simple enough that a child can understand it, but it's also deep enough that you can spend your entire life uh, trying to, to understand and see all the nuances and the beauties of the gospel. I love what, uh, there was a, a great theologian, a great thinker by the name of Karl Barth, and, and this brilliant mind, he was asked by one of his students, uh, um, Professor Barth, like, like what is the, the one deep truth that you've learned uh, about the gospel? And he very simply said this, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, right? And so uh, the, the gospel is simple enough for a child, but deep enough that you can give your entire life over to it. Let's go on, verse 19 uh, through 21. It says this, Paul says, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the, the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those uh, who believe. And, uh, and so, um, do you know, like uh, there's, a, there's a, a man by the name of Chuck Colson, and he wrote uh, the book called The Faith. And it was fascinating. He said that he was uh, that there was a Chinese official uh, that shared with him that the Chinese uh, actually were looking to America to see, um, and they were trying to to analyze what made America so successful. And so they wondered, would it be their military? And they decided, no, it's not the military. They thought maybe it's the political system, and no, it's not that. Maybe it's the education system. And then it, yet again, they said it's not that. And and then they realized. Uh, after all their analysis, they said this, it's America's Christian underpinnings that gave it the framework uh, to be a successful nation. And so as Paul talks about the wisdom of this world, um, I would just submit to you that the wisdom of this world is not all that wise. And in fact, it can be quite unkind. And so like, like can I just give you some of the, the wisdom of this world? Like, like the wisdom of this world would say this, follow your heart. But, but the wisdom of God would say this, hey, don't trust your heart. It, it's wicked and deceitful. Who can know it? And so um, like, like I can't begin to tell you how many times like this mantra, hey, follow your heart, follow your heart. And I've seen people absolutely train wreck their life because they follow their heart into uh, affairs, into addiction, into incarceration, like like you're apt by following your heart, you're actually sabotaging uh, your very own life. See, our, our urges and our feelings, they just weren't designed to be in the driver's seat of our life. And so the wisdom of this world is not that wise. Here's another one. Like many of you have heard, hey man, FOMO, that our, our culture today is about the fear of missing out. And so the mantra is, get all you can get. 
But isn't it fascinating that the wisdom of God, it would say just the opposite. It says that you want to find rich, deep, meaningful life, then give your life away. Like even uh, just uh, uh, this past week, I, you know, I was just going through a, a little moment where I, I was feeling a little bit discouraged and down. And so I, I immediately just started texting and encouraging people. Hey, man, you're great. God's going to do a great thing through your life. Encouraging as many people as I could. And, and here's what was fascinating. As I began to give my life away and encourage other people, you know what happened? Man, I was filled up with encouragement. And then people were texting me back how much of an encouraged, how encouraged they were. Hey, everybody wins in that scenario because the, the, the foolishness of God is wiser than men. Here's another one. Uh, you know, in, in our nation and in our culture today, there's this, this critical theory mood uh, going on. And so, so that's just the, the idea of, man, uh, power and who has the power and how can you take power. Uh, and so, um, but here's what's crazy is that the Bible doesn't say, hey, to take power. It actually, the wisdom of God says this, you want to be powerful, you want to be influential, then, then the greatest among you will serve. The greatest will serve. And so it's it's opposite the wisdom of this world. Uh, and then here's finally, here's the last one, and we'll land the plane on this, is, is cancel culture, right? Our, our cancel culture today, like, like if you make a mistake, you screw up, you do something wrong, man, you're canceled. You are banished uh, for life, and there's no room for forgiveness, for redemption, for restoration, like, like that's an incredibly cruel way to live, man, because here's the reality. We're all a bunch of screw ups. <laughs> like we're all going to mess up. We're all going to make mistakes. And so how beautiful and how wonderful is the gospel that says, man, when you mess up in life, when you screw up, hey, there, there's redemption, there's atonement, there's mercy and there's forgiveness. Man, the wisdom of God is just wiser than men. Let's go on. Let's look at verse 22 uh, through 25. Paul goes on and he says, For the Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And so Paul says this, hey, Jews, they're, they're looking for a sign. And so, so Jews were awaiting the Messiah, and the Messiah was going to be this mighty, powerful, conquering king that would deliver them from Rome. But, but here's what the Jews didn't know, that, that they didn't need deliverance from Rome. They needed deliverance from their sin. And so that while they didn't need a conquering king at this point, they needed the Lamb of God. And so Jews were seeking, seeking a sign. And in fact, you can read in John chapter 6 that the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they, they approached Jesus and they're like, if you are the Messiah, then give us a sign. And can I give you the context, all that took place uh, prior to that moment in John 6? <laughs> you know that Jesus took a few loaves and fish, like a, a kid's lunch, and he fed 5,000 people. Actually, uh, theologians think it's more like 20,000 people uh, with a few fish 
in a few loaves of bread. 20,000 people. Uh, so I can let you feel that. Uh, that's the size uh, of the capacity of Madison Square Gardens uh, in New York City, right? And so he fed them all with a kid's lunch. You know, oh, and if that's not enough, uh, Jesus then proceeded to walk on water. <laughs> and yet you, you need, still need a sign, huh? <laughs> I think a sign's there if you could see it. Uh, here's another one, you know, in John chapter 11, that, that Lazarus, uh, has been in the grave for four days. Like, and Jesus comes, he tells them to roll away the stone, and they're like, Jesus, it's gonna stink, right? And he's like, I said, roll away the stone. And he says, Lazarus, come forth. And he raises Lazarus from the dead. But but catch this, now now still yet the Jewish officials, they're like, oh, they ra- he raised Lazarus from the dead. Now we don't only have to kill Jesus, now we got to kill Lazarus, right? Show me a sign. Are you kidding me? Um, and then here's my favorite that I always love. It, it makes me giggle. In Luke chapter 22, we see the arrest of Jesus. And so as these officials go in and they go to arrest Jesus, uh, Peter draws a sword and he chops off uh, one of the arresting officer's ears. And it says this, Jesus picks up the dude's ear, sticks it back on his head like this, and now what happens? They continue to arrest him. I'm like, are you kidding me? Bro, he just stuck your ear back on. And so this idea of Jews seeking after a sign, there were, there were plenty of signs that Jesus uh, was Messiah. Um, but, but here's what I need you to know this morning. Do you know that some of you might be saying, hey, I wish God would just show me a sign and then I would believe him. Signs can't and won't save you. The only thing that can save you is that the one that can give you eyes to see all the signs of God all around you. Like, um, so, so Jews were, were seeking uh, for a sign. It says this, that Greeks, they were seeking wisdom. And so in the, in the Greek ethos, remember like for them, uh, the, the Greek ethos or mythology is that the gods were, were these powerful but capricious uh, gods. They, were, they had to be appeased uh, over and over again. And that's why, so they had, the, they had no framework uh, for the gospel. The gospel tells a very different story, that God is loving and, and God doesn't need to be appeased, that God appeased himself by sending his son to die on our behalf. So they had no framework uh, for this God. And so, so, so get this, like, so the Greeks were seeking wisdom. And so for today, here's what I need you to get, is please don't buy into the lie that in order to be a Christian, somehow you gotta, you gotta park your brain at the door and that you need to be somehow anti-intellectual, uh, you know, some, some moron. You, you don't need to do that. It's just not true. And so the Bible is clear. It says we're to love God with our mind. Like we're to love him with our mind. In fact, do you realize some of the great um, uh, uh, thinking and, and educational institutions in our nation, places like Harvard, Princeton, and Yale, you do realize that they were founded by Christians. They, they were originally founded to, to train pastors, right? To exercise, to love God with their mind. Um, and, and there's this, this kind of this idea out there that our, our culture today wants to pit science 
against Christianity as if they were these two mutually exclusive things. Don't believe that trash. It's just not true. <laughs> like, like, do you know that the, some of the greatest scientific minds and pioneers, they were Christians. Uh, men like Galileo, Sir Isaac Newton, Sir Francis Bacon, Blaise Pascal, like these brilliant scientists and pioneers uh, um, of science were actually Christians. And so um, do you know that, um, that, that both uh, science and Christianity, they have strong beliefs that they don't necessarily have empirical evidence to prove? Uh, science calls it theory. Christianity calls it faith. Right. And so please don't believe the lie that somehow uh, that science and Christianity uh, can't walk uh, hand in hand. It's just not true. But but here's what I want you to know. And I think Paul is driving this home that um, for all man's knowledge and his learning, man ultimately can't fix man. Like uh, there's a, a Greek legend. Um, it's actually the, it, it says this, that the king of Corinth, that, that the gods were, were punishing the king of Corinth and he was doomed to spend it in eternity to roll this large rock. His name is King Sisyphus and Sisyphus was, was doomed to eternally roll a stone up a giant mountain only to have it roll back down again. And he would have to push it back up again and again and again. And it's designed to show, man, the futility of man, that man can't fix man. In fact, uh, do you know that the 20th century, that, that we saw more technological breakthrough, medical breakthrough, and yet, with all our learning and all our technology, do you know what else that the 20th century uh, was known for? That it was the most uh, murderous century uh, on record. Right? For all our knowledge, man can't fix man. Look at us today. We have, man, we have the internet, man, the, the iPhone. We have, we have all this stuff. And yet what happens? Like depression, suicide, it's skyrocketing uh, despite all our learning and all our knowledge because man can't fix man. We desperately need a savior. And the foolishness of God is just wiser than men. Let's go on in uh, 1 Corinthians. Let's look at verse, verse 26. Paul says this. He says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. And so as you're reading that, Paul's basically like, Hey, you're not, you weren't very bright. You're not very smart. Uh, <laughs> not noble birth. You're like, Well, thanks for all that, Paul. <laughs> uh, uh, basically, he's like, Hey, you all, you all were a bunch of losers, but, but God saved you. And <laughs> Uh, it, it was. I was reminded of a, a man. I, I recently read the story of uh, the San Francisco uh, school board. They had this ingenious experiment, and they actually they they pulled uh, three teachers, and these three teachers, uh, the school board told them this: "You are the best of the best. You're the best teachers we have in our district." And these three teachers, our best, we're going to assign to you. 90 high IQ students, and we want you to see what you can do with them. And so after the school year, these 90 high IQ students, um, they scored 20 to 30% higher than all the rest of the school district. And, and then uh, at the end of the school year, the school board actually called those three uh, teachers in 
and they informed him that that they hadn't been totally honest with the teachers. That uh, in fact, those 90 students were not high IQ students. They were just kind of average or below average. And now the teachers were thinking, well, man, we were pretty awesome that we got them to perform 20 to 30% higher. And, and they also, the school board also let the, the three teachers uh, know this as well, that they weren't the best of the best. That in fact, the school board had just uh, pulled names out of a hat and they were the first three names pulled out. <laughs> so, so they're not all that. And, and, and that's the reality, what Paul is basically saying is that, and then I think if, if you were honest and, and to think of your own walk, how you came to Jesus, like, like was, it, was it in a bunch of pride, like, hey, I'm so awesome and I came to Christ? No, it wasn't. Like, like we, we come in humility, oftentimes in lowliness, even brokenness, that we realize that, man, I need a savior. And, and there's something about humility coming humbly to God that is so very attractive to him. Let's go on in 1 Corinthians. Let's look at verses 27 uh, to 29. It says this, Paul says, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak. Uh, God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. So, so did you read that? Like we just read three times, Paul's like, God chose, God chose, God chose. And so uh, I, I need you to get this this morning as well, that, that you didn't choose God, God chose you. And then by God choosing you, now you have the ability to choose God back. So, uh, so uh, a little, little uh, background in my life is uh, my, my wife Susan and I, we actually uh, met in high school together. And so uh, my, my wife Susan, uh, she, was a, she was actually a senior and I was a junior because she's considerably older than me. Um, <laughs> probably pay uh, for that one. But, but uh, listen, as in, in high school, my wife, and I'm not, I'm not exaggerating this, uh, Susan was the prettiest girl in the entire school. And, uh, and therefore, you know what that meant? She was way out of my league. And so I didn't even, it never even entered my mind to ask this woman out because she is just way too fine and too good looking uh, for a big nosed dude like me, all right? But uh, what happened, her best friend, uh, Maureen, lockered next to me. And Maureen let me know that Susan said, hey, if, if Adam was to ask me out, I would say yes. <laughs> I was like, shut the front door, right? High five, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. See, see, so you know that salvation works like that. See, because, because God said yes, now we have the opportunity to say yes to God. Because God chose you, now you and I have the ability to choose God back. That is the story of salvation. Paul would say it differently in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Paul says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Right? It is the gift of God. And in receiving that gift, man, we have the opportunity to receive God back. It's all a work of God and his grace, which is going to lead us to this next section, uh, 1 Corinthians 1, verses 30 to 31, as we're going to uh, begin to close. It says this in verse 30, Paul says, 
and because of him, right? Unless there's any confusion. And because of him, because of almighty God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast uh, in the Lord. And so, so Paul says this, man, it's, it's the gospel and the cross that, that the cross, it became wisdom uh, to us. And so if you can imagine this, like, like the, the wisdom of God, like, like there is this cosmic conundrum, if you will, that, that God is loving and merciful and yet he's also holy and just. And now, how is, he, how is God going to handle sinful humanity? Because he can't just forgive him. Otherwise, God would not be holy and just. And if he judges, what? Then he's not loving and merciful. And what happens? In the cross of Christ, man, the love and mercy of God and the holiness and the justice of God, they kiss at the cross of Christ. And Jesus goes to the cross on our behalf and he suffers the penalty for sin, therefore leaving God's character intact. He's holy and he's just, but you and I are given life and peace, eternal life in the righteousness of God um, because of Jesus. Therefore, God is still loving and merciful. Man, see the cross, it's not just wise. Amen, it's also loving and kind of God. Uh, Paul says this, that he says that, that it's not only wisdom, but, but the cross is also, man, there's, there's righteousness. And so that just means to have right standing with God. And I, I love the fact that the, you, many of you recall the story of the prodigal son. And in the prodigal son, man, the, this, the, the prodigal, he sinned uh, against his father. And then as he comes back, as, he, as he's been living uh, like a pig in the pigsty, he comes back to his father and his father runs to him, hugs his neck. And he doesn't say, hey, now go get cleaned up. He doesn't do that. That, that the loving father says he, he puts a robe on his son and a ring and he begins to celebrate his son. And so, so in the same way, do you know that you and I, that God, he doesn't say, hey, you go clean yourself up uh, first and then I'll receive you. No, he doesn't do that. That God gives us the righteous robe of Christ. The, the Bible would say it this way, that we put on Christ. And now when the Father looks at you, he says, he says you're righteous, you're spotless, you're blameless in my sight. But, but we also read this, that it goes on and it says, it's not just that we have this put on righteousness, but he also says this, that, that, that the gospel gives us sanctification and redemption. Like sanctification is just this word where, where God now begins, he declares us righteous and now he begins to make us righteous. In other words, we don't have to stay in our filth, but God begins to slowly make us clean, make us holy by the power of his Holy Spirit. And then I, I love this and we'll close with this thought. Paul says, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And so, uh, so listen, I, like, like our culture today, it so wants to, to make men and women the same. And uh, listen, if, if you believe that, you just have never had children. Man, that, man, men and women are different, wonderfully different. In fact, I'm going to prove it to you this way. So uh, 
so as a dude, right? Like like guys, uh, like I, all of us know that guy that man that married way over his head. Like the dude is real funny and funky looking, and he's got like this beautiful, gorgeous wife. And 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 here's what's different about guys than girls. Like like you can go to that dude and go, bro, man, you are a funny looking dude, and you married that hot chick. And he's like, he's gonna be like right? Isn't it amazing? And you guys are going to both high five because they're going to think it's incredible, right? But um, now try and do that to a woman. Like you go to a girl and say, hey, you're, you're ugly and funny looking. And how did you get that hot dude? <laughs> Man, she's either going to slap you, cry, or do both of them <laughs> in that moment. Why? Uh, because uh, men and women are different. Like no woman wants to hear that. But, but do you know what? See, see men, we, we boast in the fact that, man, we out we outpunted our coverage, that we married above our head. And in the same way, see, that's Paul's big point, is this, is that you and I, man, that we are unattractive, broken sinners, and yet God chose to marry us. He chose us in himself. And so he says, therefore, you want to boast? Man, boast in the fact that, that we were nothing, a bunch of nobodies, and yet how great is our God that he would choose to, to reconcile us back to himself and give him son, his son as a propitiation for ourself. And so now with that in mind, man, what an honor it is uh, to be dishonored for the cause of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you uh, this morning for the privilege of gathering together in your name. And Lord, uh, Lord, I just pray. I want to pray this morning for those that, that might not know you. Lord, I just uh, I pray for those that, that they're not sure, Lord, that, 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 that you died for them. They're not sure where they would go, were they to die today. And so, Lord, I, I'm praying. And, and if that's you this morning, if you're just uncertain about where you stand uh, on the precipice of eternity, can I just encourage you and assure you, just, just like I got word that, that man, if, if you ask, uh, she'll say yes. If you ask God, he'll say yes. And so, Father, I pray uh, for those, Lord, that are asking you today, Lord, to, to be the Lord and Savior of my life. Lord, I'm asking that you would save. You would save. And, Lord, let our one boast for the rest of our life be our boast in how great our Savior Jesus Christ is. In your name. Amen. <laughs> well, listen, every nation, the sermon's over, but we're not quite finished. Uh, I just want to remind you this morning that you can be faithful in your tithing and uh, your giving. Uh, there's three ways that, that you can continue to help support our ministry and be faithful in the tithe. Is Number one, you can go to our website, ENCNJ, and just hit the giving icon. Uh, or you can give via text. If you simply text the letters ENCNJ, to the number 77977. It's a very convenient way to give. My family and I give that way. Uh, or you can mail in your check or money order right here to our church offices at 101 Gibraltar Drive, right here in Morris Plains, New Jersey. And may God richly bless you uh, as you're faithful uh, to, to give. Listen, every nation, Jesus loves you, and I think you're pretty amazing too. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to the Every Nation New Jersey podcast. For more information on our church, or if you'd like to give a financial gift, just go to our website, emcnj.org.